Okay, everyone, if you have your attention back up front here. We're going to go to the second uh, teaching this evening. It's, uh, this will be found in your notes, so you can turn to it. It says, Why Did Jesus Come? So Pat Sewell uh, gave us a vision of God's love for us and her personal experience, how that became very concrete in her life personally. So we're going to talk now about why did Jesus come? And, and we'll see, uh, partly we'll see in this as how central healing is to the, both the life and the ministry of Jesus. So, so in this session, we want to explore why Jesus came to earth and why the understanding and why understanding the events of his life is so significant for our life. So we'll be looking, following through the outline pretty closely. I have a lot of scripture on here, so we'll be going through the scripture um, so, first of all, what did God intend from the very beginning? Genesis 1, 26 and 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our Im- image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So we see in this a couple of things. First of all, God designed our relationship to him as co-partners. He intended Adam and Eve uh, and every single human being after that to rule and govern the earth with him. He never intended anything else but that. He wanted us to be co-partners with him in ruling over his creation. We're the only part of his creation that has that calling. The, your, your pet dog does not have that calling. <laughs> and you love your pet dog, and you, you know, but he doesn't have that calling. You do, because you're made in the image and likeness of God. You, know? you are called by the Lord to rule over creation. Second thing is our relationship with God is based on trust and obedience and loyalty to this mission he gave us. He gave us an authority over creation to subdue it. And we have, and it, the, the mission that he gave us was contingent on our relationship with him being built out of trust and obedience and loyalty to him. So that's what God intended for the very beginning with our first parents, and we intended for every single human being that's been brought into the earth since that time. So what happened to the world? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 tells us, The snake was more clever than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, Did God really say you must never eat the fruit of any tree in the garden? The woman answered the snake, We're allowed to eat the fruit from any tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. And God said, you must never eat or touch it. If you do, you will die. If we turn over verse 4, it says this, you certainly won't die. The snake told the woman, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So you can see that snake needed some healing, didn't he? Verse 6, the woman saw that the tree, uh, the, bad, the tree had fruit that was good to eat, nice to look at and desirable for making someone wise. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then their eyes were open. They both realized that they were naked, 
They sewed fig leaves together and made claws for themselves. In the cool of the evening, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So let's take a look at this because this has a lot that tells us what went wrong with the world that wasn't supposed to go wrong with the world, but did. It also tells us a lot what goes wrong in our life too. And so let's take a look at it. First of all, um, if you look at the passage of scripture again in Genesis chapter three, uh, verse one and two, actually, you know, God gave the commands to Adam and Eve not to make life difficult, but to protect them. His commands were given to, to care for them. They were boundaries he set up. to. Pro- so it wasn't like God was like, I'm going to see if you guys pass this test or not. You know, I don't think he hanged the whole human race on whether they pass a test. I mean, I wouldn't like that if I was in school and had to pass my test and the whole human race hang, hung on it. You know, it's more like... God was creating boundaries, and God was creating, as it were, to protect our first parents. Because, as I often say, the garden wasn't all that peaceful. The garden had the snake in it. And the snake was devious, wise, very wise, uh, astute at studying our first parents, as he's astute at studying us. He knows us inside out. He knows us better than perhaps we know ourselves in many ways. Um, so this, the snake was in the garden. I think we forget about that sometimes when we read the story. We think the garden was all peaceful. It wasn't. <laughs> it had a snake in it. And the presence of Satan was to undermine God's purposes for the human race. He was bent on destroying the human race because he hated God and hated the ones that God created in his image and likeness. I know as Americans, we like to think the whole universe is open and optimistic, but it really isn't. Genesis shows us that right from the beginning in the creation of the world that God made perfect and he made two perfect human beings in his image and likeness, there was also the presence of the serpent that was bent on bringing war against the human race. So let's take a look also if we turn over verses four. Uh, The first thing the serpent wants us to do or wants our first parents to do is to doubt God's word. So he says, you certainly won't die. When God said you will die, you certainly won't. The snake immediately contradicts God's word. So he was casting suspicion upon God's word, God's character, God's nature. I don't know how you feel, but when somebody casts suspicion on my nature, I feel pretty bad about that, you know. Um, and, but that's what the serpent was doing with God. He was casting suspicion in the heart of our first parents regarding God's nature. Now, why that was such a big deal? Because basically our first parents had the, their only experience of God was his goodness, his love, his fidelity to them, uh, his care for them, his provision for them, his giving them the commission to be co-partners with him in ruling the earth, giving them authority over the earth. That's all they ever knew of him. They knew nothing about him that was devious or sneaky, or they couldn't like say, you know, is he really, he's got something up his sleeve here. I mean, they had none of that going on because they had no evidence or nothing in their experience that would suggest that. They only knew his goodness. And here was the serpent saying, 
He's withholding on you. That's the heart of every sin is the suspicion that God is withholding on us. So you might as well take matters into your own hand. Okay, so let's take a look here at number one uh, under the scripture from, from uh, Genesis. The nature of our parent, first parents' response to God, they believe a lie about God's nature. He, he wasn't that good to them. And that was the, that's the heart of every sin. And one of the things that healing does is to restore back to us, uh, whether it's physical healing, healing of our soul, healing of our relationship with God, healing our image of him, what healing does is restore back to us that the nature of God is good and his fidelity to us is excellent and not lacking in anything. Letter B is the serpent wanted them to doubt the Lord's word that he was not trustworthy. Every temptation that comes our way wants us to believe that God is untrustworthy. What healing does is restore back to us that God is trustworthy, that God is for us, as St. Paul would say, and not against us, Romans chapter 8. And letter C is their rebellion to God was a uh, rebellion to trusting God, uh, should be not trusting God, grew in their heart. So rebellion to not trusting God grew in their heart. In other words, rebellion didn't happen overnight. It, ha- it grew in their hearts. And it was a rebellion. It was, an out- it was an outright saying to God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you are who you say you are. I don't believe your goodness. And even though I've had that experience of you, I, I find it suspicious. That's what they were saying inside. That's- and that's the nature of every sin. So it wasn't like they, whoops, they made a mistake, bad day. You know, that it wasn't that at all. Uh, that would trivialize what took place. This is by far more serious because on our first parents hung the human race. So what were the consequences of this? Number two, they had fear towards God. Verse 8 says that in the cool of the evening, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around the garden, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were afraid of him. They only had known uh, transparency in their communication with him. They only knew peace in their relationship with him, and here now they were hiding from him. Something went wrong, right? Letter B, hostility in their relationship to one another. You know, um, Adam blamed Eve, right? He should have been protecting his wife. He He should have stepped up to the plate and covered her and protect her. He didn't. He blamed her. Already we see the breakdown of, tra- of communication with God led to a breakdown of communication between the husband and the wife, Adam and Eve. Letter C is an independence of God brought death into their bodies. The, penalty, the reason why we die is because of original sin. That's why we die. It's the penalty for having gone against the Lord God from the very beginning. So also it opens a door for sickness and disease, something God never intended for the human race. Also, not just physical sickness and disease, but mental illness, you know, uh, emotional wounds in our life. That opened the door for all that. And then spiritual death, which is our separation from God in, in, 
in this case, was an eternal way. And then letter D, the world came under the power of the evil one. We know that from Matthew chapter 4, the sermon or the uh, temptation in the desert when Satan said to Jesus, you can have all these kingdoms if you want. Now, was, was, he, was that an empty, empty kind of like promise to Jesus? I mean, if it was, Jesus would have seen right, th- right through that when it said, now, nah, you don't have the place to do that. But Jesus said, didn't, didn't disagree with Satan on that. Instead, he just simply said, I'm not bowing down before you. I worship the Lord, God. So Satan had legitimacy in offering Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, which means he has a power over the human race because of this original fall. Okay, so why did Jesus come? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, very simple, short verse. We all hear it at Christmas time a lot. Holds the key to understand why Jesus came. She will bear a son, and she'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior. It's the most used title of Jesus in the, in the New Testament. The Savior saves his people. What's that word save mean? In the Greek, it's soza. S-O-Z-O, it means to make whole, to heal, to deliver. So it's a word, a beautiful word in the Greek that encompasses uh, many different areas of our life that is to be redeemed, that is to be healed. Letter B, Jesus came to give life. He said that the evil one is a thief. John chapter 10, verses 9, 10, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came they may have life and have it abundantly. So how did Jesus bring this life? What's the abundant life he brings? Well, healing to the body and the soul. So we talk about physical ailments and illnesses of the body which weren't part of God's original plan, but are now part of us. Jesus came to heal. One of the, um, uh, so significant to Jesus' ministry was his healing ministry. You can't separate it out from what he came to do. And often say he didn't, he didn't heal to prove he was God. He, didn't have, he doesn't have an inferiority complex. He healed because of the compassion he had for a suffering, broken humanity you know, that had come under the power of the evil one and was feeling the weight of that in our bodies, our souls, broken relationships, memories from the past that carry things like abuse or rejection to them, Um, family generations that hand on sicknesses and diseases, both of the mind as well as the body, Habits like different addictions, like alcohol, for example, get passed down from one generation to another, is all the consequence of the thief who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus was healing and setting people free from all that. Still is today. Letter B is he forgave sins. We'll take a look at that a little bit more closely in just a minute, but that's something that he came to do is to liberate the human heart from the weight of sin, moral guilt, but also shame in our hearts as well. Letter C is he raised the dead. As Pat indicated in uh, her talk is that healing is also a foretaste of our full healing that will come with a resurrected body. So raising the dead is also a foretaste of Jesus being the conqueror of sin and death. That death is not the last word over us, but life is. 
for those that belong to Christ. Letter D, he fed the poor, cared for the poor, the poor, uh, physical poor, material poor, of course, uh, but also those that were victims of injustices in the, uh, in the culture of his day. And letter E, he drove out evil spirits in people's lives. He came to, to begin to dismantle the work of the evil one in people's lives, to begin to bring truth where, where they believe lies to set their hearts free. That's the heart of, of uh, being set free from the enemy is to replace his lies with truth of the Lord and how the Lord sees us. We call that deliverance, deliverance from evil. At the heart of that deliverance is replacing Satan's lies with the truth of how the Lord sees us and who the Lord is and who we are to him. Number two, Jesus' ministry is one that healed and set people free in body and soul. His deeds, signs, and wonders manifest God's love for a suffering, broken human race. One of the reasons why the Lord wants to continue this today amongst us, healing people both in body and soul, freeing men and women from their lies and replacing that with the truth of who he is, is because he loves suffering, broken humanity. And he wants, and, and uh, again, though things aren't perfect here, what we do see take place is a foretaste of what he's promised us in heaven. That's really important. Um, we might not always see healing of the body, for example, like we always want. We do hear it. We do see it. Uh, but we might not always see it. But what we do see in here is a foretaste of what the Lord has promised us. So if we didn't see some of it here, as Abbot David Garrett taught me a long time ago, he's a spiritual director, went to a spiritual school years ago. He said, if we don't see some healing here, we'll never believe in the resurrection of the body, he says. But when we do see some healing here, then we can have the confidence to know that one day we will get a new body patterned after Jesus' own risen and glorified body. Number three, Luke chapter four, verse 18 and 19. Jesus said of himself, this was his first sermon that uh, Luke records for us. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus was, this is Jesus's Magna Carta statement. This is why he came. He's, just, he's, def, he's declaring his mission statement, if you would. So what's the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection? First Peter chapter 2 says this, he, carried, he himself carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. So Jesus, part of his mission was to take upon himself our shame, our guilt, our sins. He was, from his wounds, was to come our healing. Healing first in our relationship to his father. The most important healing we can have. Because, you know, even if we're healed a hundred times over in this lifetime, and we're going to die eventually, you know. But the healing that is eternal is the healing that comes in our relationship to the Lord, is the forgiveness of our sins, is accepting what he did for us at the cross. Uh, because that's the healing that will last forever. 
And, and so you can be healed in your body and not have that healing. That is the healing of forgiveness of sins. And then we're still alienated from the Lord. But to be healed in our, our soul, to have the forgiveness of sins, to once again take up our rightful position that God intended back from the garden, that we live a relationship of trust, obedience, loyalty to him, and know his love, that was talked about in the first teaching, and live in that love, that's the first healing and the greatest healing. Jesus, the perfect human person, yet God himself took our guilt, though he was innocent. If we turn over, page four, number two at the very top there. Jesus gave back to the Father all the trust, all the love, all the obedience, all the fidelity that you and I should have given, but we didn't. But he gave it all back to the Father on our behalf. Because he, as St. Paul called him, the new Adam, he became the new head of the human race. So what he did was done for us. So it's like your personal representative, like whatever Jesus did, and he did it perfectly, and he did it in tremendous love to the Father and for us, he did it for us. And the Father says, it's as good as if you did it, because my son was doing it for you. That's what we mean when we say, Jesus is the new Adam, the head of the human race. Remember, the old Adam was representing the whole human race. And he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do what he should have done, which was live in complete trust, obedience, and fidelity and love for the Father. And when he f- turned his heart away from the Father, even though he was the Father's son and Eve was the Father's daughter, they lost in their heart the image of God being a father who loved them tenderly. And Jesus came to restore that back into our hearts. And that's the healing that is the first healing for us. And when we experience that healing in our life, then it solves so many issues for us. Identity issues, right? Solves so many issues about purpose and meaning for our life and destiny for our life. And then we can relate to one another without competition and rivalry because we know that we're loved by the father as his daughter, as his son. Number three, the father got more back from his son than he lost from our disobedience. By the way, number two and three belong to St. Thomas Aquinas. He came up with that first. I just put it in modern American English instead of reading it in medieval Italian. (laughs) Letter B, what's the significance of the resurrection? Colossians 1 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The resurrection was not only a vindication of everything Jesus did, but was also a complete deliverance of us from the power of the evil one. So in other words, we can live a different way of life. Romans chapter 6, St. Paul says this, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus or baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Well, the resurrection of the body is yet to come for us, but 
but we already have belonged to Christ and have died with him, been raised with him in the waters of baptism. And when we turn to him and accept what he's done in our life, we've, all, we've already begun to walk in this newness of life. That's why we talk about healing. Healing is possible now that we can live differently. We don't have to be bound by our guilt or shame or by the wounds of the past. You know, we don't, be, we don't, we don't have to be bound by lies about our identity and who we really are. We can be set free from that because Jesus is alive and risen. Okay, so the risen Christ destroys the power of sin, death, and the evil one over our life and the world. And number two is through baptism, we share in that risen life. As I said. So how do we respond? Number six, Mark 1, 14, 15, this is what Jesus says. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So hearing the good news calls forth a response. So repent means to simply change our mind about what is significant and central to the core of who we are. It means to accept God's evaluation of us and who he says we are as his son and daughter. Number two, it means to believe, to put our trust in the Lord Jesus, surrendering our life to him as our savior. And lastly, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us. And to experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life allows us to begin to experience that risen life that we just talked about of Jesus. Okay, we'll talk, this is part of what we'll be doing in the next couple of weeks is talking more about the Holy Spirit, how he brings us into the experience of the risen, the abundant life that Jesus has come to bring us. So I could take now about uh, 10 minutes, go back into your small group discussions. There's a couple of questions I listed there. You can use these if you want. You don't have to. You can just talk about what really impressed you during the talk, but we'll take 10 minutes to do that.